Gospel. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 6 through 10 as we continue our series in the book of Galatians. We started this last week, we're calling this Counterfeit Gospels because we're talking about things uh, that are often taught or believed that are just not the true gospel, the real truth of God's Word. And so you see all these reflective surfaces up here, these mirrors and the different things on the stage. And really the idea behind that is, is that last week we talked about there being kind of five or six different gospels that are prevalent in our culture. There are probably more than that in different places in the world. But here in the United States, there are a lot of things that people believe in. And so we put these reflective surfaces up here to say, what do you see yourself in? When you think about a specific type of gospel or a specific belief system, what do you identify with? Where do you see yourself? And so Paul, in his book to the Galatians, is trying to help the Galatian people see what the true gospel is and to know this is what we've been given by God to believe and how we're supposed to live our lives. And so we're going to look this morning and see what happens when we stray from the true gospel. So if you will, read with me Galatians chapter 1, starting verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what is accepted, what you accepted, let them be under a curse. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And Paul really, that's a great starting point at the end of verse 10 because Paul really says, look, you guys need to understand, I can get kind of bold with you and point out your faults and some things that you're believing that are false because I'm not trying to make you happy. I'm trying to do what's right in the eyes of God. And so when I see something that goes against God's teachings, against God's ways, I've got to point it out. And it may upset you, it may frustrate you, it may bring some disappointment to you, but I wouldn't be a servant of God if I were trying to please you. And so Paul says, it's not about me trying to please you and say what you want to hear. It's about me saying what's true and pointing everything to the truth of God's Word to help you understand what the gospel is. And so this morning, I'm going to ask a question that we started off looking at a little bit last week, but it's really relevant to jump into the discussion today. And here's the question we asked. If you were led to believe that something was true, when in fact it was false, would you want to know? Would you want somebody to tell you, hey, what you're believing, that goes against the truth of God's Word? Or would you just be content and happy to believe whatever it is you've always kind of believed and nobody say anything to you about it? So this morning, maybe you're a believer in Christ. Maybe you came to a place where somebody told you how to have a relationship with Jesus. And so you said a prayer. You gave your life to Jesus. You said you would be obedient to Him. You want to go to heaven when you die. But nobody told you there was anything past a salvation gospel. That there's a life to live as a disciple of Jesus. Would you want to know? That there's more to life as a believer, as a disciple, than just waiting till you die so you have the hope of heaven in your future. Would you want somebody to say, there's more to life than that? There's more to Christianity than that? Uh, maybe you're someone who is a believer, but you've bought into some bad theology. And as a result of the bad theology, the things that, that you've believed, it's messing up your worldview. 
And so the things that you do in life, the way that you look at the world is just kind of skewed. It's not right. Would you want somebody to step in and say, that really doesn't look like what God says in His Word about how you should think, how you should behave. Would you, would you want somebody to step on your toes a little bit and tell you if you were going counter to the truth of God's Word? Or maybe you're someone in the room this morning that's not a Christ follower at all. You don't really believe in Jesus. And the reason you've kind of got that mentality is you have some assumptions about God, about Jesus. And so you've never thought it really uh, purposeful to put your hope and your faith in Jesus. Because your idea about salvation is that, well, if God is all loving, there's no way he would ever send anybody to hell, really, right? I mean, God is supposed to be all love and he's supposed to accept everybody and embrace everybody. So a, a loving, good God wouldn't send people to hell, right? So that's kind of your theology. So why put my faith in Jesus if I believe I'm going to make it to heaven anyway? Or I don't put my faith in Jesus because really my idea of how to get to heaven is the more I do, the better work I do, the more old ladies I help across the street, the more merit badges I earn, the more nice things I do at work, the more, you know, that I pay money to the government for my taxes. Maybe I even give them an increase. I don't even know. That's like crazy, right? And so you just be like, that is how good of a person I am. I pay more taxes than the government asks for. And you're going, surely God would let somebody like me into heaven. And so your whole thing is about this works-based mentality of I've got to strive to get to heaven, earn God's love. And the more good I do outweighs the bad that I do. And so surely, because of my goodness, God's going to let me in. Well, hopefully, we would all say, if somebody asked you, man, if that was a way that you were believing, but it goes contrary to the truth, would you want somebody to tell you? Hopefully, all of us would say, yeah, I would, I would want somebody to tell me if the way I was living, the way I was believing was wrong, was a lie. And so that's what Paul is doing as he writes this book. This is an important letter in the New Testament because it serves to remind all of us that without someone telling us truth, the reality is we would probably all run to improper, incorrect, false doctrines. That if it wasn't for the truth of the Word of God on our own and because of our sinful nature that we have, if it wasn't for somebody saying, this is what's true, if it wasn't for the Word of God pointing out, this is what's true, then we would all chase things that would be false. And so we need to realign with truth because we all run to wrong doctrine without truth. And so during Paul's first missionary journey, Paul took what we think are three different missionary journeys over the course of his life. And in his first one, he planted a church in an area called Galatia. This is the region that we now know as Turkey, right? And so Paul went to Galatia and he planted a church there. And after some time, many other churches were planted. The gospel spread. Uh, the good news of Christ went out into the region. And so there were many churches that started to plant. But within a year of Paul leaving the area and continuing on his missionary journey, some guys from Jerusalem came in behind Paul. Now, it doesn't explicitly call them this in the book of Galatians, but historically we know that these guys were known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who believed that anyone could become Christian. In fact, they would have said they were Christians. But you couldn't just be a Christian. You also had to be Jewish because they were of a Jewish descent, a Jewish background. And so they said, it's great if you want to come into a relationship with Christ and if you want to call yourself a Christian, but you also have to go from whatever you know, kind of religious background you are to convert to Judaism. You have to start to embrace the law of the Jews. You have to hold and uphold all of the law of the Jewish people. Not only that, you need to be, if you're a guy, you need to be circumcised in order to really go into this whole thing, right? And so to become a Christian meant having surgery, not fun surgery. 
And so we're going, here's the deal. This is what we're expected of you. You've got to fully embrace the Jewish faith in order to become a Christian. It's not just about Jesus. That's a great part of it. But there's also this other aspect that's about being in the Jewish faith and keeping the law of Moses. And so the Judaizers had come in behind Paul and started talking about all of these things. And so because they refuted much of Paul's teaching about salvation, Paul has to write this letter to the Galatian churches. And as he writes to them, the primary question of the book of Galatians that Paul's going to address, and if you're taking notes today and want to write some things down on your notes, or if you like to follow along online, there's a place in the Bible app. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, go to Events and click on Our Church, and you can follow along online. That's a great way to do that. But the primary question the book of Galatians seeks to answer is this. How does a person come into a right relationship with God? That's what Paul's trying to express in this book. He's trying to answer this one important question. How does a person come into a right relationship with God? Now, last week we talked about the fact that the gospel is bigger than just the moment of salvation, right? And so there is a gospel message that continues throughout your life. Paul will say later in the New Testament that we are being saved, like it's a consistent part of life in Christ. That the salvation moment when you are justified, when you're brought into faith in Christ, you're made right with Him is a moment in time. It can be a moment in time. And so Paul says, the point of what I'm trying to do is how to help you understand as I write this, what does it look like for people to walk into a right relationship with Jesus? How does someone become a Christian? How does someone become a believer? And here's what Paul taught. He taught one thing. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Now, I know that's on the screen, so I want you guys just to kind of say this with me. Uh, let's just say that last part. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Now, I heard you scream a minute ago. I know you can do that better, so let's try it one more time, all right? So, salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And Paul's going to say this consistently. He's going to say, how does one step into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, it's by grace. It's by God's grace that you don't do anything to earn it. In fact, you can't. But God, because He loves us, shows grace to us. That regardless of what you've done in your past, regardless of who you are right now, God in His grace loves you. And He pours out grace to you and extends grace to you and says, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you are. I love you. And I want a relationship with you. Now, how do I do that? I come into relationship with God. I accept the grace of God by believing in faith in Jesus Christ. That we would say, I believe that the Bible is true. That Jesus is the one who came and lived a sinless life. He was perfect in every way. He did what I can't do. He lived every way possible in the right way in front of God. And then even though He was sinless, He died on a cross for me. And I will place my faith that His act of obedience to Jesus by dying on a cross is my way to heaven. He's the bridge that spans the gap between my sin and God's holiness and He pulls me into relationship with His Father. And even though I'm sinful, God extends grace to me. Jesus is the avenue of grace. And I will walk across that bridge into relationship with Jesus or into relationship with God by faith in Jesus as my sacrifice. He took my place. He took what I deserved. And so I'll give my life to Him. Now, the Judaizers taught that faith in Jesus must be coupled by obeying the Jewish law. And so Paul's writing this gospel to say, this is not what I taught you. 
In fact, he even says, even if I came back and taught a different gospel, or if an angel from heaven showed up and said, there's a different gospel, he goes, don't believe them. You stand on the truth of what was originally taught. If someone comes in claiming a different gospel that's not about grace and not about faith in Jesus, don't listen to it. That's not the true gospel. And so as Paul writes this, he's helping these young believers in Galatia to do what's right by accepting and believing that it's by grace through faith in Jesus that one comes into a right relationship with God. Now, the Galatian people, I don't think that they were bad people for following a false teaching. In fact, it could be easy for any of us in this room to do that. Sometimes we just kind of buy into something. We go, oh, that actually sounds pretty good. I think that kind of fits until someone says, no, 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 this is why that doesn't work. You can't do that because of what God's Word says here. So it's kind of easy, but these guys were very young in their faith. I mean, Paul planted the church, and within a year he was gone, and he had left, and there was no leadership. The leadership that he left behind was young Christians, right? So these were people who were young in their faith, too, who were leading the church. And so when these guys from Jerusalem come, and they show up in Galatia, and they say, hey, we, we're coming from the apostles, in Jerusalem, and they sent us here to tell you that your new faith is awesome, but you also have to become Jewish. And it's not because these are bad guys. The Galatians are not bad guys going, oh yeah, we need to run away from Jesus and embrace this Jewish thing. They're just naive. They're kind of stupid in a way, right? Like freshmen in high school. They're kind of just naive, right? Any freshmen in the room? Okay. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, here's what the deal. I went to, uh, to Morristown East High School, whether you love them or hate them or fun, whatever, that's good. But uh, I, I grew up in Morristown, went to Morristown East. In my senior year, we started doing this thing with freshmen that we would say, hey guys, first day of school, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but for 20 bucks, you can get an elevator pass that goes to the third floor, and on the top of the third floor is a swimming pool. And for 20 bucks, you get access to the pool all year. Just hand me your 20, I'll give you this pass, and that's how you get to the pool. And freshmen is stupid, right? And they believe me. And they believe a lot of us. There's no swimming pool on the third floor of Morristown East High School. That's a dumb place to put a swimming pool, right? But freshmen believe it, and so you make 20 bucks pretty quick. And so you kind of go, you know what? Because you're naive, you believe something that's dumb. And that's what's happening with the Galatians. They're not bad people. They're not looking to chase after a false gospel. They're just naive in their faith. They're young in their faith. And when somebody shows up and says, uh, we have credentials, we're from the apostles in Jerusalem, that's where the head of the church is, and you guys should kind of listen to us, that would be like somebody coming to a Catholic church in our area and going, we're from the Vatican in Rome, you should probably do what we say, right? And so out of their naivety, they just went, oh, okay, we need to embrace this new teaching about Christianity. And so Paul is writing back to them, and when he starts to write, he understands that this is a serious thing to address. And really, as he writes and he gets words of this, he quickly refutes the teaching because he knows that if I allow these people to continue in this way, that what's going to happen is they're going to build a whole theology that's based around works, that's based around how good can I be, what laws can I keep, how much can I do right to earn God's favor. And for centuries, that's how the Jewish people had lived. And so what Paul knows is that if we allow this to continue, Christianity is going to become a cult of the Jewish religion. Instead of being an avenue of God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to spark a movement that's centered around who Jesus is. Because what legalism does is it points to me and it goes, look how good I can be. And what grace does is it says, look how much God loves you. That even though you were lost in your sin, He sent His Son anyway. 
He didn't ask you to clean yourself up first. He didn't ask you to change anything at first. He just sent His Son to show you love. He gave His life on the cross for you. And then He invited you to come into a relationship with Him and follow Him, to repent of your sins, to follow Him in life, to obey Him in everything that He does. And then to trust that He is the one true King, that He is the Savior of the world. And so when Galatians is written, Paul doesn't waste any time. In almost every one of Paul's letters, in fact, in all of the the epistle letters, when Paul writes, he starts off with these nice, cool, so glad I've been hearing good things about you. I just want to tell you how excited I am. I've been praying for you. And Paul writes these really nice introductions. In the book of Galatians, he doesn't do that. He just jumps right into, uh, we got to talk about some things. Right? He's not excited to be writing the letter. In fact, uh, when he does this, it's basically kind of like, I don't know if you've ever gotten one of these phone calls before where people don't just pick up the phone, hear your voice, and go, hey, I just wanted to call and chit-chat, or just wanted to talk, how's things going? If you get the phone call where somebody, as you answer, it goes, hey, man, we need to talk. That is not a good phone call to get, right? Has anybody ever gotten one of those phone calls? I had some junior high phone calls like that. There were breakup phone calls, and it was like, hey, we need to talk. Oh, dang, I don't want to have that conversation, Right? And so when Paul does this, what he's basically writing is, hey, we need to talk. And so here's what he says in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And so as Paul writes, it's not a, hey guys, I'm so proud of you. I've been hearing good things. I just wanted to tell you I've been praying for you. He just launches right in. He goes, guys, I am just astonished at your stupidity. You are so naive, and it is blowing my mind that you're this dumb. I'm astonished. And in fact, that word astonished means dumbfounded. And the verb tense around the Greek word is a tense that says that he is continually in a state of astonishment. Like he just can't get over what they've done. It's like every time I think about it, I'm just astonished. And then it kind of goes away for a minute, and I think about it again, it's like I'm still astonished. Like how stupid can they be? What are they believing? What are they doing? He goes, I'm just continually astonished over and over and over again. Every time I think about this, that you're living this way, that you're believing these things, I'm just dumbfounded by it. And so Paul's writing these things, and he goes, guys, I'm just astonished that you would do this. It reminded me of a story when I was in high school uh, my parents gave me a truck when I turned 16. Great, beautiful, cherry red Ford F-150 extended cab truck, and it was like awesome, like just a gift, right? Talk about grace. What had I ever done to deserve something like that? They just gave me a gift. They even paid for my gas. They paid for my insurance. I had one rule with the truck. Do you know what the rule was? Change the oil every 3,000 miles. That was the rule. If you will keep the oil changed, we'll take care of everything else, insurance, gas, all that fun, kind of fun stuff. You can go places. You can do whatever you want to do. To an extent, right? And so it's like, just change the oil. Well, during the summer, my, uh, my mom and my brother and I, we went on a little vacation down to visit some of our family in Alabama and in Florida. And we got to Alabama and we were there. And so I had left my truck at home. And so dad, who's still at home working, he's driving my truck around. And at some point along the lines of him driving my truck, he found a little sticker in the corner of the windshield that tells when the last oil change has been. Remember? which had been 10,000 miles before. 10,000 miles, all right? And so my dad, astonished that his son, his firstborn, the good one in the family. (laughs) I love you, brother. My dad gets in that truck and drives seven hours to Alabama 
And we're out throwing baseballs in the front yard of my aunt's house when this cherry red truck comes flying up the driveway, gravel flying, dust settling. It's just crazy. And we're just like, Dad, you decided to come on vacation. And he slams the door and it's like, Dad decided to come on vacation. And my dad grabbed me and walked me over to the truck and he pointed at that sticker and he went, 10,000 miles? Like, what are you doing? I'm just astonished. He was so astonished that I had not changed the oil that he drove seven hours. And I went, Dad, you knew it was 10,000 miles over the time and you drove seven hours down here? Like, shouldn't you have changed the oil before you did that? Come on. Uh, I did not say that because I value my life. And so um, from that moment on, That was the moment where my dad said, you will, from now on, not pay to get your oil changes done. You will change the oil by hand in our driveway, and I will watch you change the oil. And so we drove to Walmart, and we picked up gas and oil oil and filters and all that kind of stuff. You can tell I don't change the oil in my truck anymore either. And so uh, that was the moment, though. But his astonishment of how irresponsible I had been shook me into saying, that's important. you got to change the oil in your vehicle. It's important that you do that. And so when Paul's astonished, just like my dad's astonished, his astonishment, the reason he's writing this letter is to hopefully shake these people into awareness. What you're doing is wrong. And you need to fix the ways that you're going or you're going to be in trouble. If you don't put some oil in the truck, you're going to be in trouble. If you follow a counterfeit gospel, you're going to be in trouble. And so Paul writes this letter to say, listen, you've got to get back on the right track. And then he's going to tell them in the second part of verse 6 what they've done wrong. So he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the One who is God, the One who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul writes and he says, listen, here's the deal. You've left what was true and what was right. In fact, the word he uses is you've deserted the one who called you. And deserted historically is a word that's used for someone who is defecting. Right? If you're defecting from the military or the government because of religious, philosophical, or ideological changes, then you've deserted, you've left your post, you've defected, you've run away from. And Paul is essentially calling the Galatians turncoats. He's going to look, you guys deserted the one who called you. You've defected from the true faith into something that's not the gospel at all. He says, you've believed this gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So let's talk for a few minutes about what is the gospel. You're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Here's what the word gospel means. Gospel in its simplest form means good news. So when we talk about the gospel, when you hear that word gospel, you go, okay, gospel, big, fancy word, what is that? Gospel simply means good news. And so Paul says, these guys are teaching you a gospel that you're buying into, and it's really no gospel at all. It's really not good news at all. There is good news, but what you're believing is not good news. And so before we kind of talk about the gospel, this Greek term gospel distinguishes the Christian message from other religions. In fact, the word in the Greek is evangelion. We get our word evangel or evangelism in the uh, Greek Um, In the Greek world, 
when the emperor wanted to send out good news into his kingdom of a military victory or a new son being born who would be a future emperor or some major change, when they wanted to send out good news into the kingdom, they would say the evangelion, we will send the evangel out. So guess what we do? We call this word evangelism. The evangelist, the one who carries good news. This is the Greek term. The Christians begin to borrow this Greek term. And when there is good news that a new king has come, that a victory has been won, that Jesus died on the cross to win freedom for us from our sins. This is good news. And so the Christians started going, let's send out the evangelion, the evangelist. Let's go tell people. And by the way, that means that every Christian in the room is an evangelist. A lot of times we go, oh, evangelism, that's like one of the spiritual gifts that only special people do, right? And so I don't really tell people about my faith in Jesus because I'm not an evangelist. There are professional evangelists, and that's their job, but I don't do that. And Paul and all of the Christian authors would say, no, 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 you all, we all are evangelists. We all carry the good news. We know the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, that God in His grace in His Son to live on this earth to be perfect for us, to show us the way to heaven, to die on the cross, to come back alive after three days. And if we put our faith in Him, we have a relationship with God. That's good news. And so when we see Paul writing about this, I have to ask a question first. What do we do with news? When you hear news, what do you do with it? Turn on NBC, ABC, CBS, whatever it is where you get your news source, Fox, CNN, whatever. I don't know where you get your news, but what do you do with news? Three things, right? First thing is you listen to news. The second thing is you process news. And the third thing is you respond. You're either going to accept or you're going to reject news, right? And so when we think about news, news isn't opinion. It's not advice. Uh, it's not something that's instructive. But when we get news, we have to determine what we're going to do with it. I'm going to listen to news. I'm going to process news and I'm going to respond. Am I going to respond by accepting it? Or am I going to respond by rejecting it? And so those are the things that we do with news. So what's the good news that Paul's talking about? Paul would say that the good news is that God has offered us salvation from our sins through God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That God has shown grace to us. That He does not count our sins against us. And that Jesus has come as a way to to wipe our sin away and to give us a relationship with God the Father. And Paul says that's good news. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Faith is complete belief that Jesus alone is the way to a relationship with God. So Paul's telling the Galatians, listen, by accepting the teaching of these other guys, these Judaizers, you're embracing a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So essentially what Paul's saying is what you've embraced the news you heard is not good news. The news you heard is work really hard to get God to love you. Keep all the rules. Obey all the laws. Do everything. And at the end, if you did it well enough, God will accept you. It's not good news. Paul says that's not even a gospel. That's bad news. Don't listen to that. Stay as far away from that as possible. Well, this argument continues on. And what we're going to find is that it becomes very prevalent among Christianity. Do we become Jewish? Do we expect people to become Jewish? Do they have to embrace the law of Moses? Do they have to follow all the rules? And eventually what happens is a council is convened in Jerusalem. Now, 
You know you have a big problem when you get called into a family meeting. Anybody ever had a family meeting? Yep, that's when you have a big problem, right? And so you're like, all right, family meeting, everybody in. You're going, oh, no, what did we do now? Paul and the other Christians convene a council in Jerusalem, and they basically call this big family meeting. And I want you to read with me and hear what this says. Acts chapter 15, verses 5 through 11. I think it's going to be on the screen. It says this, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they stood up and they said, The Gentiles, that's you and me, by the way, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and that they would believe. God, who knows the heart, showed what he accept, uh, showed that He accepted the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us. God did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so Paul, as he writes, he says, our hearts are purified by faith and we're saved because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's grace and there's faith, and those two elements alone are what bring us into salvation in Jesus Christ. And so the council ended up agreeing with Paul and Peter and the other apostles, and they said, this is what we need to do. We need to not make it difficult for people to come into the faith in Christ. We need to keep it simple. We need to tell people the way you come into a right relationship with Jesus is by the grace of God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing else. And so they're going, let's don't make this hard for people. Let's keep this really, really simple. If you will accept that God in His grace loves you and sent His Son for you, and you'll place your faith that Jesus alone is your way into heaven, and you'll live your life under His Lordship, then you're made right with God. And when you die, your way isn't paved and secured into heaven for eternity. Nothing else. It's grace by faith. And that's what starts the relationship. And so as Paul is writing this, he's telling the people, everything you do, when we think about the gospel, when we repent of sin, it's by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. When we follow Jesus, it's by God's grace and through faith. When we believe in Jesus, it's by God's grace and through faith. When we obey uh, it's by God's grace and through faith in Jesus. Everything that we do in the Christian life is by grace and through faith. It's not about anything else. No works can get us there. So what Paul ends up saying is this is the good news. And here's the next blanks on your outline. This is the good news. Jesus is not part of our salvation. He's not a component of it. He's not an aspect of it. It's not Jesus and the law, Jesus and Judaism, Jesus and anything else. He goes, it's not part of our salvation. Jesus is completely our salvation. He's all of it. He's the full component. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You place your faith in Him and say, I'm hooking myself to your wagon and I'm believing that you're the way that I get to heaven. I'm putting all my eggs in your basket I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. And that's how I'm going to believe that I'm saved because that's what Scripture teaches. 
Paul is going to just pound this theme throughout the letter. And so I want to look quickly at a few passages. And if you're in the book of Galatians, you can follow along with me really quickly. I don't remember if these are going to be on the screen or not. But listen to what Paul continues to write throughout the book of Galatians. It's faith, it's grace. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. I know this, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified uh, by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. That word justified just means made right with God. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 3.11 Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by what? Faith. Galatians 3.24-26 So the law was our guardian until Christ came that, uh, that we might be justified not by the law but by faith. Now, this, uh, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith, right? So throughout the book of Galatians, Paul is going to pound this over and over and over. Why is he hitting this topic so hard? Because Paul knows that we tend to to lean toward legalism. That we tend to lean our hearts, want to do this whole thing about earning our way, being good enough, making it on our own. We tend to lean toward works-based lifestyles. And so Paul says, if you're going to make this whole thing about works and how good you can be, you're going to miss it. Legalism appeals to my pride. Legalism says, look what I did. Look how good I was. This is the next blank on your outline. Legalism appeals to my pride, while faith in Christ requires faithfulness and humility. Because if you're going to believe in Christ, it's going to take you stepping back and taking a back seat and saying, it's not about anything I've done. It's not about anything I can do. It's all about God in His grace reaching down to save me. And when I place my trust, my faith in Jesus, I'm justified before God that He chooses to see me as His son or as His daughter. And He takes me into His family. And so Paul is hitting this hard because he wants us to understand that a works-based salvation is no salvation at all. Now, here's the next blank on your outline, and it's going to sound at first a little bit contradictory. We aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. All right? Those two things are entirely different things. And here's what Paul is going to tell us. He's going to say this, your works cannot make you right with God. But once you're in the kingdom, God has a work for you to do and be a part of. There is a work that God has for you. That being a part of God's family has some things that that God's going to say and you're going to say, I love God so much, I want to work on His behalf. I want to do things for the kingdom. I want to do things to show my love for God, my obedience to God. Not because it's going to save me, but because I have been saved. I want to do great things for God. So listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. through Again, this is Paul writing to a different church. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. 
And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Because of who we are, we're deserving of God's wrath. But, the word but, I love to circle the word but in my Bible every time I can because it's typically a word that extends grace. But, right? right? Like, you are such an idiot. But, grace. So, he says, but, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, because it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are created in God as handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Check this out. He says, you can't get there by by works. But once you're in, there are works that God will want you to do. There are things that you will do on behalf of Christ. There is a work to accomplish for the kingdom, for the gospel. But it won't save you. You're saved by faith and by grace. And once you step into that kingdom, there's a great work to be done. And you're invited to be a part of something. How boring would it be? Have you ever joined a club or something like that? Joined a, a fraternity, sorority, whatever it may have been, some kind of organization, and you got involved and it was like, just pay us your dues. And you're like, okay, this is cool. I'll pay you my dues. And you're like, now, now what do we do? It's like, oh, nothing. We don't really do anything. We just want your money for the dues, right? It's like, this is a terrible thing to be a part of. I wanted to do something. I want to make a difference. I want to have an impact. And God goes, I have saved you by grace through faith to give you a work to do in this world to spread the gospel. And so that's what we become part of. So here's how I want to close this morning. If you're living under the pressure that you have to work harder or try to earn God's love or that you have to make it to heaven based on how moral you are or how you're keeping all the rules, and I've got bad news for you this morning. That's not going to get you there. It's not about how good you are. But if you would place your faith in Jesus Christ, I have good news for you. God's made the way. God's made the way, and it's a free gift. He doesn't expect anything of you before you come into a relationship with Him. He just says, come to me. Come to me, and I'll change things. And so when you come into faith in Christ, it's knowing that God in His grace and His mercy towards you extended His arm of love. So here's how you get in. Just step through the door of my son Jesus Christ and His work on the cross to save you from your sins. Believe in Him. Have faith in Him. And you can be part of my family. And so this morning, the challenge to all of us is just simply this. That if you are not in a relationship with Jesus, that today it's not about saying a magic prayer. It's not about making some big show. It's not about coming up here and shaking my hand or talking to me. It's simply about saying, I understand that the grace of God has been extended toward me. And as, as much as I understand it, and by faith right now, I'm going to choose to put my life in God's hands through Jesus Christ. And I want Him to be my Lord. I want Him to be my Savior. I want Him to rule over my life. And from today forward, I want to follow after Jesus. I want to know as much as I can about Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And today, you can make that very simple step just by saying, God, I want you. I'll follow you, and I'm committing myself to you because of your grace and through new faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Jesus, would you save me?
And today can be the day that everything changes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you. I'm so grateful, God, that there is a true gospel to hear, that there is a way to live life under your authority, under your lordship, and that you can give us the opportunity to know you through grace and by faith. And so, Father, I just pray right now that there would be people, as we sing even this last song, that that you're just stirring in their heart through the power of your Holy Spirit. You're stirring in their heart something that they want to make their relationship with you right and that they want to walk into a, a faithful, obedient relationship with Jesus. So, God, we trust you for that now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.